Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Photographic Life and the continuation of the conversation between myself and Bill Shapiro. So who is Bill? Well, Bill's a writer, editor and curator of photography based out in New Mexico. And I'm Grant Scott, a photographer, lecturer, writer, filmmaker and podcaster. I think it'd be fair to say that both Bill and I have got extensive uh, experience of the photographic uh, environment over a number of decades. In fact, 40 years for me. We've got a lot to talk about this week. In fact, so much that we've had to break this conversation down into two parts. We're talking about the personal project. And this is part two. Okay, Bill, um, welcome back. Continuation of the conversation, personal projects. We seem to cover a lot of ground last uh, time. Uh, I know we've had a lot of feedback on that. I know you've had some feedback on that. And as always, you've been talking to people. I have been. I've been talking to people. I've been typing to people. But but yeah, the, you know, the response from the first personal projects um podcast was was great. And um, I did get a couple questions. And, and uh, how do you feel if we started with uh, with a couple of those questions? Yeah, let's get started. Great. Well, Josh McMillan writes, um, when working on a personal project, at what point do you invite other people to look at the work to discuss it, to offer thoughts and opinions? How many people should you show? What kind of questions should you be trying to have answered from this sharing? So I thought that was a really good practical uh, question for us to 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 sort of tackle. Yeah, and I think they're probably the questions that most people have, aren't they? Yes. So I guess I would start by saying um, to Josh that I don't think there's a magic number of people to ask, but I would keep it to um, five or fewer at a single stage because everyone's got an opinion. Um, and you might get hit, you probably will get hit with lots of conflicting opinions. And I don't know, for me at more than, than, I don't know, four people, it's just too many voices in my, in my head that can sort of drown out my own. So I I would sort of choose people carefully and strategically. And, And you can think about your project in stages and think about who would be the right person for each, for each stage. I think at all stages, you want somebody who you don't really know, someone who can look you in the eye and say, you know, you've missed the mark without fear that you're going to be sitting across the table from them next Friday night. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think also, though, I, I might even, as, as I so often do, take a step back from that and, and ask yourself the question, why are you asking somebody and what do you expect mm-hmm. from that person? And, and I, I guess that's why... I like to think about it in stages, you know, like for some of my own work, I won't ask, you know, an editor, somebody who eventually I might, I might show this project to, if I want to try to get it placed somewhere, I won't ask the editor to look at it before I feel like it's well, well, well on the way, hopefully to get them interested in it, but also to get, you know, straight up feedback. But I think, you know, to your point, I think the biggest obstacle here or actually landmine here is if you ask it, it sort of if you if you go diagnosis shopping like like with a doctor to go from doctor to doctor waiting to get the diagnosis you want um that i think is the real obstacle because it's it's easy with enough people to have somebody say oh yeah that's great but that's not actually helpful 
No, you're absolutely right. And, and interestingly enough, I was I was um, reading about a photographer who's going to be appearing on the podcast in the next few months, um, and they uh, were taught by Lizette Modell, and they went to a class with Modell, and she absolutely reduced this guy to tears. Um, he her her critique was so harsh. They then became extremely good friends, and he was able to take it and also to see why she was so harsh. But I think it's very difficult, isn't it? You know, feedback is what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. And you know, tying with this whole idea around a personal project, if it is very personal to you. That feedback, that mentoring you receive may be even more, you know, you may be even more sensitive to what's being said. So perhaps, you know, tying in with your idea of stages, you don't get anybody involved until you're quite a way into it. Yeah, I think I think that's um, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, to, to speak to the other part of um, of uh, uh, Josh's question, you know, he said he asked what questions should you be trying to have answered. And I think that goes to the stages and it goes to what you just said. And and I guess uh, I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts here are. I, I, some of the questions I would ask is, you know, what's working, what's not, what's missing, what's confusing, what might help alleviate that confusion. And for me, most important is how do you feel when looking at the pictures? But, you know, I I have a real problem with this idea of kind of what questions should I ask? Uh-huh. Because, again, that for me, that comes down to this idea of, you know, what is right and what is wrong. The reality, I think, should be that you should be answering your own questions because anybody who says what is right or what is wrong is going to be coming from a subjective viewpoint. And the difficulty with photography is that, input needs to remain as objective as possible possible but it is intrinsically subjective and therefore you don't want to sort of cave or have that work um infected or affected by people whose agenda is different than yours so actually i would argue that the project the work should throw up the questions, you should answer your own questions, but then you could bounce your answers off of other people. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I've, I've found for, for myself that, that I do like to hear, um, you know, from, from the chorus that it's helpful for me. I, I have a strong sense of what I want to accomplish and I'm very happy to dismiss what anybody else says and not, and not take it to heart and either for better or for worse. But when I hear something that rings true, um, I find it very helpful. And, and I guess, you know, the thing is, at least from my perspective, and I know yours is different, that when I do go to ask people for feedback, I'm not expecting them to necessarily point to the exact thing that's missing or to articulate a problem exactly. In my experience, many, you know, readers or viewers feel something is off or is missing. And it's really up to me or the photographer to decode what they're saying and to pinpoint what that something is. So, so, so don't expect somebody to give you the answer, but they might be sort of fumbling around something that's worth thinking about. Yeah, but I quite often 
I mean, the amount of times I've spoken to a photographer, they've, they've said to me, you know, what do you think? I've thrown it back at them. And actually they knew what they thought and they knew uh-huh. the answer, but they were looking for validation of that answer. And I think that that's a, that's a tightrope to walk between those two areas. So, so are you saying at no point you would solicit outside feedback or just not in the early stages? I would, I wouldn't in the early stages. I definitely would, but I wouldn't be posing those people with questions. Okay. Excellent. I, I would be, I would be sort of saying to them, look, these are the questions. These are my answers. What do you think to my answers? Interesting. That's interesting. That's not something I would have expected. Excellent. <laughs> well, why, why would you not have expected that? Uh, I don't know. The, the, the practice of asking yourself questions and then sharing the answers and sort of getting feedback on that, I find that's really interesting. And it's not something I would have thought of. Well, it's one of the things I suppose, you know, when I'm, when I'm lecturing uh, within the university, my take on it, it has always been that, and I suppose this is, this is informed by my own education, is that when you're at school, and you're within education there, you know, the, the, that area of learning that we all go through, we get very used to the idea of having questions, a, a teacher, a mentor, giving us the answers and us then responding to those. But my feeling is that really true learning comes from the idea of not being given answers, but by being given questions and then being encouraged to go out and find your own answers to those questions, which is then so much more personal and fulfilling. And then that then takes the conversation onto the next stage of learning so that the mentor truly is somebody who's kind of supporting the growth of knowledge, but isn't necessarily giving the answers, which would be their answers. Well, I find that really interesting, um, and it's certainly more mentally rigorous than than my practice, which is to find the best people I can for the stage that the project is in, get their feedback, and then um, accept it, make some sense out of it, or throw it away. And I'll have to do some investigating about why I think that's more important then going deep within myself, maybe I'm just shallow. I don't know, Graham. <laughs> no worries. I'm just as shallow. But it's a great, isn't it? A serious, seriously good set of questions there because they've, they've sparked yeah, yeah. so much conversation. Yes. Shall I ask, shall I, shall I hit you with the second comment from our listener? Yeah, absolutely. Great. This is from Chris Romain. He writes, I enjoyed part one of the podcast and it had me thinking about how my personal projects have turned into professional and then professional into more personal. Um, Chris goes on to say that he is currently working on a, on a personal project that um, has the chance to earn revenue at some point, and he's working in collaboration with a PhD. He asks, do you think passion projects can be collaborative and cross with professional? I'm left wondering about that after listening to the uh, podcast, episode one, as financial gain at the forefront of a project seemed not to be, quote unquote, passion. Oh, no, I, I think it absolutely is passion. It, you know, our subject matter as photographers that we choose must be based on our passions, our sense of intrigue, our interests, because if not, you know, we're not as well. I, I always feel we either need to be a specialist in that subject or we or we wish to be a, a specialist in that subject. And we discussed this previously, didn't we? But um, 
Yeah, I think it absolutely. Uh, it's got to be passionate. It, it, there's no reason why that shouldn't connect with collaboration. I think what's really interesting for photographers in personal projects is that, you know, one of the biggest personal projects I've done over the last few years was a feature length documentary film, which was a personal project, a passionate project and uh, a collaborative project, which also then led to income. So I think that's a great example. And actually, I think for photographers, perhaps we should also put this out there, that a personal project for a photographer today does not only have to be the still image, it can also be the moving image. Um, that is absolutely true. And and let, so let me ask you what, what I what I think he's getting at. I'm not 100 percent sure, um, but what I'm reading into it is if in the begin in the inception of the project, if you're thinking about how am I going to make money off this or I'd like to make money off this, is it then not a personal project? No, I mean, and, it's only not a personal project if it's being commissioned. But, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of photography recently for various clients, um, which a lot of people would consider commercial. Uh, in fact, I'm doing one in a couple of days. But as as I've said to you before, um, the client just says to me, go and make pictures. Right. So that's personal. I, I think the fact that you hope to make money off something does not um, diminish the sort of capital P personal project. I think it's fine to have that in your head. You know, just just go do the thing. You know, you, you and I have talked in the past about how a lot of photographers refer to what they're working on as a personal project until they sort of think they can make some money off of it. And it's sort of a, a perhaps, a, uh, I don't know if it's a, a misclassification, but it's an interesting classification. Yeah. But I think also, Bill, if you, if you think about what a personal project is, it may well incur costs. Right. And, and therefore, you know, not to think about it from that perspective at the beginning may actually be naive. Um, I a hundred percent um, agree with you, you know, as, as an American capitalist, unfortunately, I think it's something that you're wise to keep in your mind at some level all the time. Well, as a UK realist, um, yes. I, I can't see why. I think one of the things I, I don't hear it quite so much now, but I certainly used to hear it kind of pre-digital or just in the digital kind of transference era, uh, era was photographers saying, I've spent all this money, I've done all of this work, but now nobody wants to publish it or nobody wants to make it into a book or whatever. No one's interested in it. And I've always sort of said, well, didn't you think about that at the beginning? Right. And so I think if it's, if it's a project that you really want or need to do for yourself, if it's, and, and I don't mean this, if it's, if it's creative therapy in some way, go do it. Don't, don't worry about the money. If you have to exercise something, go do it. But I also think there is no harm at all in thinking about how could this make money as you're doing this project, because you might end up with a fork where part of it is, is personal, you know, quote unquote poetry. And, and part of it ends up being something that you sell in one way or another. And I think that's, you know, you, you, to, to, to be creative and to make things go make them and then see what happens. 
Absolutely. But I think it, it also, if you're not getting something back from it spiritually, physically, emotionally, then intellectually, then you shouldn't do it. hundred percent. I could not agree more. And, and this concept also that photographers or artists, you know, um, need, need to suffer for their art. Um, I'm sort of done with that. So if you, if you've got a way to, as they say, monetize it, uh, go for it. It's still a personal project. Yeah. Do you know, it's funny. I can remember, oh, it was a good few years ago now, but um, I come from quite a rough part of South London from a very rough school. I can remember people say, oh, you know, I'm going to live in parts of London because they're more real, uh, different parts of London. And I was like, well, I've done real. I'd, I'd, I'd like some aspiration, please. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> right. I, I've done the suffering. Now I'd like to kind of have a slightly nicer life. Um, you know, I actually spoke with a with a photographer in 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 preparation for this session, who had a personal project that he did, you know, truly just for himself. But it ended up, um, you know, in a way, kind of hitting the jackpot. Well, tell me about it. So I spoke with Greg Miller, who is a um, a fine art photographer and a Guggenheim fellow. He's a longtime faculty member of um, the International Center for Photography in New York City. His work is in the Museum of New York City. Sorry, the, the Museum of the City of New York and the, and the George Eastman Museum and Cleveland Museum. And his editorial work has appeared in Time and, and Life and NPR and Esquire and Fast Company. And one of the reasons I spoke with Greg, aside from the fact that I'm a longtime and rabid fan of his work, is that he recently won the National Magazine Award, which is a big deal in, in this country, for the best news and entertainment photograph. And this was for a story that he shot for The New Yorker. But as I was saying before, it was based on a personal project. So, so the story is this. In the weeks after the Sandy Hook mass school shooting massacre um, in, in 2012 in, in Connecticut, in which 20 children were killed, um, Greg told me that, you know, in his words, I became very aware of saying goodbye to my own daughter, who was the same age as many of the victims at the time, when she got on the bus in the morning. Would I ever see her again? Was this goodbye forever? At some point, it dawned on me that children waiting for the bus in the morning could be a project. It was a sinking feeling in my stomach, knowing that there was no way that I was not going to do that project, even though I had no idea how I was going to accomplishment, accomplish it. I had the idea and I knew I was perfectly situated to do the project, yet it took me several months before I began. Um, and that was simply out of fear. But that is also when you know it's a good idea because bad ideas are scary. And so Greg made a series of haunting photos of, of kids waiting to, for the bus to go to school. And then he told me, I posted about the Uvalde shooting, um, which, uh, the day after it happened. And that, if anybody doesn't remember, was another school massacre in this country, on, in the other side of the country. So he posted about it. Um, he posted a picture on Instagram from his uh, morning bus series of his daughter waiting for the bus in the rain. And a photo editor in, um, at The New Yorker, uh, Bowen Fernie, made the connection and pitched it to the photo department. And Greg continues, he says, I often feel, and not just with morning bus, is this crazy? Is anyone going to care about these pictures? I mean, 10 years, which is how long he worked on this series, is a long time. And The New Yorker doesn't always call 
And, and honestly, I'm not photographing children waiting for the morning bus for the New Yorker to call. I'm doing it in a futile attempt to get people to stop shooting children and others. So the series has to have an internal engine that keeps going through it all. While we may hope for um, all the usual markers of success, money, engagement, publication, the work of pursuing a series can't hang on those because they are often not there. It's more like if you build it, they will come. Wow. I mean, there you go. Everything there, isn't it? You know, it really is. You know, and. I suppose it's always it's always it's very easy to, for us to kind of um, have these conversations and and put forward our beliefs, but it's only when you hear somebody like that saying, "Look, this is what happened. Here's the reality. Um, here's a case study that you can kind of go, well, yeah, actually, it does make sense." Yeah, and I love the fact that he felt this thing like deep within him. And, and because it made him feel scared and uneasy, he sort of knew he was onto something. Um, I, I, th- I think there's a lot there. Yeah, there is. There's an awful lot there. But also, again, you know, we said um, way back that the, the, I think it was the beginning of the last time we were talking about the personal project. We said, you know, th- there's a clue in the name. Right. You know, and they couldn't be more personal than what you've just described to us. So thank you very much for speaking to him. And thank you to him also for uh, for sharing those thoughts. Yeah, his um his his award winning series is called Waiting for the School Bus in Uvalde. And and I would suggest everybody take a look and, and maybe Grant, we can post a link, a link in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. So so I, I I posed a couple of other questions to to Greg. Shall I shall I hit those? Yeah, please do. Okay. Um, I asked Greg, how do you know when your personal project is complete? How do you know when to stop? And, and he told me, uh, and this is a long answer, so we can stop at any point. At last count, he said, I have about 13 personal projects and I'm considering a new one. So I feel like I might be more of an expert at starting personal projects than finishing them. Part of the amalgam of what holds a personal project together, that is to say, the slightly delusional state of believing that I actually have a personal project, is that I'm working toward a goal that I will publish the work or have an exhibit. As I'm working on the project, this is what I'm telling myself when I wake up in the morning. I have one project called Spumoni Gardens. There are photographs of the Pizzeria LB's Spumoni Gardens way out in Brooklyn um, on the way to Coney Island. They gave me permission to photograph there on their patio one summer. After two weeks of photographing, the owner came out and said, hey, guy, how long are you going to be doing this? That was my best Brooklyn accent. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Greg continues, I didn't have the heart to tell him that I had I had imagined working on this for years. He had a much shorter duration in mind. So two weeks was the answer for the project. But sometimes a project ends because my heart decides it's over. That can be harder to know, but you can tell because you make fewer pictures. I had a cousin who was a dairy farmer in Maine, and uh, at the time, full production had many cows, milked every morning. And when he stopped dairy farming and became a car mechanic, he told me that he had one cow in the back field that had remained from all those years past. He said it was his pet now. I sometimes think that that is what my projects have become the ones that end without a book, an exhibit, or any fanfare. I might add a picture to them occasionally. They are my pets. That's rather a nice way of thinking about it as pets. But I do think that what we 
perhaps what what he's also pointing to there and what we perhaps have to understand about personal projects is that there are times in our lives when something is really important and then that time can pass. And that's quite often I find, I don't know if you do also, there are certain times when I think that's a really good idea. And then only a few weeks or months later, I just think, actually, no, I'm not that interested in it. And so I might have started it. And it's only the the projects that I'm really, truly passionate about that I see all the way through to the end. And then I kind of know when it's ended. But are there some some that you start set aside for, I don't know, maybe a couple of years and then revisit? Um, yeah, but I don't know if I'll ever revisit them. You know, uh-huh. during COVID, um, I started one which is about a hill near where I live, where um there was a, you know, there was a previous kind of a plague, and this is a plague hill where the where the bodies were buried, and I thought, well, that was that's interesting. So I started to work on it, research on it, and then as time went by, I thought, well, actually, I'm not really that interested in it now. Now, whether I'll go back to it or not, I don't know. But I think a lot of photographers have that kind of kind of rhythm to it. But I also think it's so interesting that 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 happened during COVID, you know, which was itself a a pandemic or a plague. And so it was very relevant, you know, to all of our emotional states. And as things became a little less dire, I could see where that project might become a little less of of a heartbeat in you. Yeah. And I think that's the key with that emotional attachment to all personal projects as to why we're doing it. I mean, why did he go to that specific pizza? place there must have there must have been something there but but we know that as photographers by going every week that project would probably i'm guessing but maybe have started to focus on specific characters who continually appeared or yeah that would have developed that would have meant that actually he wasn't photographing the same thing over a manner a matter of years Right. I think that's I think that's a great point um, or certain certain rituals there. But but, you know, you 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 brought up, you know, in talking about how the Plague Hill no longer became um, as sort of vibrant of idea for you, you know, that it, that is an op- time itself is an obstacle and the news cycle, maybe to some degree, the zeitgeist to to personal projects. Um, but I also a- I asked Greg uh, Miller what obstacles he faces, you know, when he embarks on or is in the midst of a personal project. Um, And this is what he said. He said, I believe that a project is simply three or more pictures that relate to each other in which I can see a vision for growth. So in the early days of a project, it exists, um, sorry, its existence is completely fragile. There is a period early on where only I know that is a project. It exists mostly in my head. That is when you're learning about the limitations of access or pushback from the world. External resistance is real, but I would say that I encounter more psychological resistance. Well, yeah, but then again, you see, that's that emotional sense coming yeah. through, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I often think of personal projects in, in kind of two specific areas. One is as an emotional attachment and the other is as an intellectual attachment mm. so one the intellectual is that sense of here here is something i found out about that i want to know more about and the emotional is kind of here's something i feel a connection to that i'm going to deepen my connection a couple of photographers wrote to me and said is it a personal project 
if I'm going out to sharpen my skills, you know, whether it's portraits of, of people or dogs or landscape or whatever, is that a personal project? And, and I sort of felt like yes and no, mostly no, it feels like a personal, uh, an important, you know, skills fine tuning project, but not necessarily a narrative or an arc or a story. But what do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. But I, it's funny enough, I've written about this in a couple of of my books, um, and I gave it the term photo sketching. And the idea really was that if you're an artist, say you're a, a painter or uh, an artist of any kind, the chances are that you'll work on a body of work or a, a particular work through sketchbooks. You might um, work through it. And so there's a sense of kind of evolution in the making of the work. If you're a sculptor, you'll make a maquette and you'll make a series of maquettes. And again, you'll go through drawings and sketches. But the photographer is expected to get it right within the press of one button. Mm. And therefore, that kind of going out and improving technical skills or the, the skill, the ability to see, to work with light, with comp composition, with juxtaposition of color, of form, of shape, all of those elements to me are photo sketching. They're going out and taking photographs without any real uh, kind of idea of what you're doing other than engaging with that sense of learning. Whereas I think the photo project is something which you have a sense is either going to grow or evolve over a period of time. My best friend's father was a, a, a very well-known TV writer. And I remember him saying, you have to sit in the chair. <clears throat> you know, if you're not sitting in a chair, in his case, typing, things won't come. A lot of bad stuff will come. But the good stuff won't come if you're not sitting in the chair. And so this idea of going out into the field and honing your skills, um, shooting, as you were saying, you know, composition and light and getting to know how to work with people, that is crucial. I wouldn't call it a personal project, but I would call it, you know, keeping the wheels spinning at all times. Yeah, it's part of your practice. I mean, yeah. I, I often say to young photographers, you know, if you were studying the guitar, you'd expect to practice every day. And by practicing every day, you know where you should be getting better. You know, physically, you're getting better. You're becoming more attuned. Your fingers are becoming more subtle. You've got that muscle reflex action that starts to happen. And therefore, as a photographer, it makes complete sense to do the same thing. So, so right. So separate from personal project, which is another way of skill training, this photo sketching, as you called it, which I like, um, is, is really a skills-based thing, maybe more than sort of an idea or an emotionally-based thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, a series, you know, it's just, it's like making, uh, making work without thinking, but it absolutely isn't a personal project. However, of course, through those observations, a yep. personal project might develop. Right. But it would be a separate thing. So yeah, I, I I would I would be in agreement with you on that. I think. So the last question I asked Greg um, was how he handles rejection of a personal project, or if not outright rejection, then people you know just not quite getting it when it comes time to to for show and tell. And he told me, 
Rejection can be hard, but I feel like if, if you're a photographer for five minutes, you're no stranger to the mass indifference of society. Also, a project starts out with my solitary involvement. It's an idea in my head and maybe a few pictures. So to me, it's not surprising when no one notices. Some pictures, he told me, have an audience of one. Yeah. And as a photographer, I think you've got to be happy with that. Right. You know, uh, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be willing to to take that that road, haven't you? You know, it's not a people pleasing thing. If you want to take pictures that please people, then you'll kind of do puppy dogs and brightly colored post-produced water going off a cliff or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's those yeah. kind of, you know, in the old days, they, when people bought chocolates in boxes, you know, it was chocolate box paintings, you know, pictorialist Victorian paintings. And, you know, I often see photography that feels the same. So, you know, if you're going to go down this road of of photography being a tool in which you document what's important to you, sometimes you're going to hit the jackpot and people are going to connect and other times they're not. Um, but that doesn't mean to say it's lesser work. Yeah, right. Totally. And, and sometimes, you know, in, in Greg's case, um, that personal project, you know, was 10 years before it got the recognition, um, you know, that it that it uh, deserved. And, and the next photographer I spoke with for her, it was almost 50 years. I spoke with um, Marsha Bricker Halpern. Uh, who's been photographing the character and landscape of New York City for, for, you know, basically half a century. She received a master's of fine arts from Brooklyn College and then spent 35 years in, in, in education, uh, K through 12, teaching art and photography in, uh, in special, for special education um, with, with disabled and, and auti- autistic students. Her first book, Hibbets and Nosh, when we all met at DuBrow's Cafeteria will be published by Cornell University Press this month. And it's a wonderful book that shows these characters that inhabited what was once an essential meeting spot in the 70s in New York City. That sounds great. I love those places. Um, It's a really warm hearted book and the the pictures are great. And, And the fact that she, you know, shot this so long ago, you know, these pictures really... Not only do they hold up, but they have be now. Now it's about nostalgia because the, the, these places don't really exist in New York City anymore. Um, so it's 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 not just a document um, of what was happening in the moment, but it it takes on this flavor of of nostalgia, which is and, and history. So so she spent ten years from seventy five to eighty five shooting at, at at these old cafeterias in New York, and I asked her why she stopped if it was the roundness of. 10 years or did she find herself duplicating pictures or did she go tired, tired of the subject matter? And she told me that early on, or she said, I sensed I was documenting a vanishing world of New York cafeterias. And that was what initially propelled me. Dubrow's cafeteria was in my neighborhood. I started in 1975 after graduating college and the last of the chains, Dubrow's chains shuttered in 1985. I continued photographing cafeterias whenever I found them, um, one in the South, uh, one in Warsaw, Poland. But then I had moved on to other projects that could be similarly, similarly immersive. So, so that was one that it feels like, you know, this external circumstance of the cafeterias closing sort of ended the project, 
but she went on to do more photographs that that and and the juice wasn't quite there. Well, I think, it, you know, so I mean, you, there's a couple of things, I think, which are imp- interesting in what you've just said. One is that chronological thing whereby, you know, there's a neat ending, you know, 75 to 85 or 90 to 2000, you know, those kind of decades where you start to think, well, yeah, that's 10 years. That's a neat ending. And then, of course, there's those endings where they're out of the hands of the photographer because circumstances change and the actual project disappears. And I think that's where I, you know, Bill, I think in this conversation there, there, which has been going on now for quite a few months, um, there are a couple of things that keep recurring. One of them is expectation, which we talk about all the time. But I think the other one also is um, the need for an openness, the, the need to allow things to happen and you can't really well you can never control the future you can the best you can do is try and work with the present and when you're working on a personal project you have to be open to those changes and you have to be open to the fact that it might get taken away from you by any number of circumstances yeah exactly that exactly that I asked her how she handles rejection of a personal project, or if not, again, if not outright rejection, just people not quite getting to it or getting it or responding to it. And, and, and she wrote, I try to get my work seen. It can take one person to say that you have a worthwhile project uh, to, to, to keep you going. In my case, she told me, I had the extraordinary opportunity to take a class with Lisette Modell. <laughs> well, the synchronicity of chance. Exactly. But in her case, Modell said, keep photographing. So I did. Also note that it has taken me almost 50 years to achieve some recognition. So that must feel so great for her for 50 years later to, to finally have this wonderful book coming out. Absolutely. But I, I, I bet also she's had an incredible series of experiences in, in that diner. The really oh, yeah. perhaps even more important than the photographs themselves. Uh, interesting. Yeah. And a real sense of community there. Yeah. I really wish I'd been there. I, I love diamonds. Um, I think you're going to like this book quite a lot. It's um, it's, it's great. Fantastic. And uh, did you speak to anybody else, Bill? I did. I spoke with um, B.A. Van Size. Um, he's an author and and yeah, so he he he's a terrific writer. He's an and a, a great photographer. Um, focused on the intersection between language and the visual visual uh, image. He's the author of two terrific monographs: "Children of Grass," a portrait of American poetry, and "Invited to Life After the Holocaust." He's previously been featured in solo exhibitions um, at the Center for Creative Photography, Center for Jewish History, and he's in the permanent collection of the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery. So. I asked him uh, the same question. Um, uh, I asked Marsha, how do you know when your personal project is complete? How do you know when to stop? And he says, there feels like there's a stopping point with all of these projects. With Children of Grass, I was pressing up against a book deadline and I just had to stop. I was in mourning when I finished it because I could have kept going forever. I finished the last shoot, went home and was weepy for a day and a half and then submitted the book. With Invited to Life, which was the book about the Holocaust, 
uh, in part, I'd met, interviewed and photographed 140 American survivors of the Holocaust. And um, I was becoming a bit too freighted with the weight of it. I also felt I also really felt um, that I had what I needed. And the pressing reality was that there aren't that many survivors left. Yeah, well, that's um, that's a terrible, sad, um, sad truth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, or in so many ways for so many of us with so many projects. I think, you know, one of the interesting things, and, and I thank thanks very much as always for reaching out to these people and thank you to all of them for giving such thoughtful and considered responses. And also, I think, thanks very much to our listeners for asking those questions. I hope they got some kind of an answer that they were looking for, even if it wasn't maybe the answer they were looking for. Right. But I think, you know, like um, like trying to finish this conversation, the truth of the matter is that um, it never really finishes. And maybe a personal project never really finishes. It might become an exhibition or a book, but that doesn't mean to say that at some point it may not be reignited in, in a different form. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I think the idea of it being reignited in a different form and, you know, there's a lot that photographers or any artist can worry about, you know, will this project get ended for me before I have a chance to finish it or, or what kind of extenuating circumstances there are. And so I think it's a good idea as you start to embark on a personal project to think about maybe even write down what some of your fears are, because at least that sort of gets them on the page um, and it becomes something that you can consciously process. Like a kind um, of photographic psychiatrist couch. Well, yeah. And doing, doing it for yourself. You know, so I asked BA what, what he fears when embarking on a personal project. So I was interested about uh, on this. And he said, my big fears are, are, are twofold. That I'm going to start it and not be able to finish it, which we were just talking about. And two, that I will finish it and nobody will care. As you know, the world has a funny way of caring about photographers only after they're dead, but you do it anyway. But with these big defined projects, you know, you make work to be seen. And the, and the idea that it's not interesting enough that the public will ever care, care about it can be, can be sobering. I think for me, especially where I tend to skew towards literary themes, towards complicated topics, that's particularly daunting. So I definitely get pretty worried starting out that maybe I'll spend seven years interviewing survivors of the Holocaust to talk about the challenges of their American American experience, the impossibility of their moving on from their trauma. And maybe the public will just shrug and say, eh, old Jews. But at the end of the day, fear is a terrible reason not to do something. In fact, it's the worst. Well, do you know what, Bill? If we feared that we were ever going to sit down the pair of us every month, and have a conversation, and no one was going to listen, then we probably wouldn't have started. So whether people listen or not, at least we've overcome the fear. I, uh, that's, that's a wonderful sentiment, and yes. <laughs> Bill, as always, it's a, a joy and a pleasure to shoot the breeze with you, especially in the fact that you are so um, fastidious in your work, and you bring so many really interesting comments and photographers to us. So I thank you for that enormously. The conversa conversation, I should say, continues um, next month. Who knows what we will be talking about? 
Well, hopefully we'll be talking about um, um, some listener feedback and questions. So, so I would definitely encourage people to, to get in touch with us, um, you know, through, through Instagram or, or your website or, or even Twitter and, and hit us with any questions on any topic that, that you'd like us to uh, bat back and forth. Yeah, that would be great. What a great idea. We'll make the whole thing kind of interactive. So if you are listening, and uh, it's great, by the way, a lot of you have been suggesting um, photographers for the podcast and uh, issues and things we should be doing. But if you want to do that, do get in touch with Bill or I, and um, we'll give it we'll give it a go because this conversation has still got a long way to travel. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Graham. Uh, thanks, Bill. And uh, catch up next month. I look forward to it. Thank you to Bill. Thank you to you for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And of course, please take care. Mm-hmm.